Chapter 6 of The Yellow Sheet. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Yellow Sheet, the LibriVox NaNoWriMo project for 2007. Chapter 6. Written and recorded by Tom Higgins. Twisted and turning, the young girl stumbled through the turbulence of adolescence. The scabs of early mistakes she left intact to remind her of the possible pitfalls of gentle meanderings. No dragons, no ring-bearers, and no young ensigns on far-flung starships. No time-traveling scarf-wearers. She toyed with all of these. In her teenaged wisdom she played with saving the world, fixing injustices, and with all good intentions, making humanity safe for its own company. Twisted and turning, the young girl fought seasons of correctional maneuverings, and in her way formed something of her own ethical operations manual. The three-ring binder was worked, reworked, and then worked once more before she implemented it in her early twenties. First, limitations. She worked long and hard not only to pave over those vectors which impacted the underlying fabrics, but to cut off all access to them entirely and forever. It was the one brief flirtation with wearing her underwear over her clothes and going up, up, and away. If she gave herself the leeway, she would have laughed now at the machinations that she had set up to close that opening, the dramatic Wagnerian epic she lived through for several months, that left her with a newfound respect for Galacticus and several lucrative investments in comic merchandising. Certain limitations formed themselves into her daily breathing. Fictions of all sorts were a dangerous flirtation with the could-have-beens that left her sore and bruised with the linebacker's impact of unexpected consequences. Sweeping generalizations, hasty revenge-laced daydreams, even the steamy sideways pleasures, had barbs she would rather not have to dislodge from her gobsmacked mouth. Those who came to know her sensed her quiet need for a status quo, bubbling under a constant sense of wonderment. Even while she moved across the thoughtscapes of the fringe possibilities, she clutched at her stability with the same survival instincts with which an Arctic explorer clutches his parker. Second, living. How would she live, given that her motions and meanderings spun off as they did to infuse the world around her? Free-running was as close as she can come to describing it to herself and, on occasion, to those few people she grew to trust. Sebastian had explained it to her during one of her expeditions. Her crush on him was overruled by the importance of what he had to teach. She filed it away in a small white banker's box for that mythical time when she could sit and enjoy her selfish indulgences. She sifted through his foreign frame of heart to get at the stuff she knew would matter to her. Sebastian and David twisted and turned with their troop of brothers, showing her the Superman and the Monkey Vault, the half-flips morphing into running dashes up the sides of nearby cafe walls, the merging of shoulder and sinew into dumpster lids and sidewalks. While their muscles rested, she prompted them to explain about overcoming obstacles, about spotting the clutter of the everyday, and about reaching the goals lodged between impossible and untenable. Living was possible, and live she did. Nightfall was mirrored in her bedroom's south window. The futon's reflection floated over downtown skyline. 
Each pillow read the backwards name of a city or a country she had in some line or some time visited. Yorkie Nua, atop Nalum, Nalum aside, Donal Nizni. The table she was hovering over went off and on in places with red brick lights and white arcs of headlights. Her four hands moved in a dance of slow-shaking terror over the pile of yellow sheets of paper. We know. Her eyes took them in one at a time. We know. What we need to ascertain in this hearing is exactly what did we know and when did we know it. The gavel came down with several loud exclamations. Order! 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 She blinked twice. Her starched uniform held her in place while her focus returned. Senator, with all due respect, she weighed her next words with great care. The active participation of this body in these acts is a matter of public record. Asking us for an explanation of your intentions is outside of this report's aims. The room fell silent. A wave of digital flashes and cell phones being dialed followed. The volume ramped up in short order to the individual sounds of questions, gavel poundings, accusations, and defensive scapegoating drowned each other out. The live cam feeds to the watching cloud of millions overloaded and sputtered out. The comment systems of several We Know web forums filled with a sweater full of threads, each raveling and unraveling in the battle of ideological supremacy. She looked out over the cityscape. The old t-shirt rubbed against her flesh as it finally warmed to the apartment's small heater. She could not remember going down that alley of possibility, did not recall a workup of the possible outcomes. She did recall snapping back to her pre-planned course of the evening. She did recall. She recalled recalling. The pile of yellow sheets were neatly stacked now in several uneven columns. The stack closest to her had one yellow sheet left. She had a staring contest with that lone sheet's message, and having been defeated, picked it up with tired hands. The realizations that led up to those ponderously stacked columns of messages started amassing a few months ago. Her methodologies having been proven, and her caution held tight in her mind like so many rosaries, she had taken to what Corey called her walkabout. She made up her mind about it one afternoon in London, as she sat half listening to his latest story idea. And then and then Gene Shepherd's voice comes up. You know in that way he gets when going on about They had talked about Gene Shepherd more than a little on that and other visits. She had found a large collection of his radio shows on a small website, and made her way through what could be unearthed of his works over the next couple of years. The Connected Federation of Fatheads had mailed her discs packed with MP three files without care for enumeration. They were spreading the good words, and that was enough of a reward, they told her. She thanked them with an excelsior and the occasional seltzer bottle. The post office box was often stuffed with copies of his books as she plucked them one after another from eBay or Amazon. Storytellers, more often than not, tell a story. Shepard was telling a story about telling true stories. It was not nearly as overt as was often done, probably very much his intent from the get-go. When fans or professional interviewers would ask him which parts of his narratives were real, 
and which were made up, Shep would look at the person asking with a sadness, general reserved for dim-witted dogs, and then lovingly make up a tale which they believed to be the real answer. On sunny days, she would sit at cafes and on hillsides, weaving her own true stories, crafting consequences and stitching up holes with the seemingly careless skill Shep had taught her. Watching as they unfurled around her, she quickly spotted her flaws and noticed any jarring clashes in the pattern's patchwork. Eventually, she sat amused by the outcomes and chuckled on occasion at the ways that even sorrow could bring happiness. You're not listening again, Corey sulked as he sipped at his water. What? Me not being riveted by each and every word that flows out of your being? You think I want to wind up obscured in one of your plots? Her smile shone with equal parts truth and huckster spiel. In return, he broke out in a true smile. Okay, okay. So enough about my word counts. What is this about some sort of walkabout you're planning? She told him about the globe-spanning romp her recent return on investments was affording her. The world is solemn enough now, I think, so I want to go explore some. Sure, it's not perfect, but imagine the boar fest that would be. So, okay, I step away from what I am all about for now and go see what the world is about. She outlined the details to him as best as she could outline them to herself. The arc of the sun led her across the terrain. Her transitions got increasingly complex, flowing from free-running to parkour, blurring intent and expression with flips and turnarounds. Drunk beyond plan one night, she heard the first message. We know. It came from the barstool beside hers. The crowd rumbled on over the Batman's faltering swing. Excuse me, she slurred to the rough shape of a man on the barstool. His eyes moved from her to the TV and back to her. It's okay, love. You're not all out yet. Her focus came up sharp. She needed an exit, and Tank was going to be no help. She let a giggle loose at that thought as she worked out of her drunk. She let her eyes move over him. Exits, exits. You're talky for a cutie pie. She let herself slur just enough to set the trap. And you're all too quiet for this bar, he said, emptying his pint. Careful change of venue, then. Her arms snaked around his neck, down his torso, and across the inner thighs. My picture yours, sweetie. When they spilled into her hotel room, she moved them towards where she remembered the bed being. You think I'm that sort of guy? He grunted as she stripped him of his jeans. She inched her fingers inside his underwear. Reply hazy. Try again, she chuckled. The answer rose in her fingers. Exits and fallbacks. She went to the white banker's box and pulled out something she had worked out in her youth. Naughty and delicious. She remembered the first time she had tried this. Her body moved in time with his, warm tectonic plates building up pressures that would be released in several powerful quicks. The first now ready inside her, moving out, yes, and now the second taking over his intentions, yes, and again stronger this time catching his unreadiness, guiding him now with her hands, the uncontrollable and inevitable quake of his own pressures, ready for her command, and now the exit spread from her heart, 
beating warm, slow, fluid. And cut! Great work, guys. That was Avian worthy. She felt the towel move over her, reached a hand toward where Brock should be. His fingers gave hers a squeeze. Always a pleasure, honey, she said, getting up off the set's bed. Around her, the crew ran around rearranging for the next shoot. She walked into her jeans, wobbly from the last vestiges of the drink and her hasty transition. A small figure ran beside her. Total and utter amazement yet again. Oh, if we can just clone you, it would be a mint made real. With both hands, she hefted her breast into a waiting Ramones t-shirt. Annie, are you trying to devalue the goods? Ah, you're wise beyond words. Can you do another shoot today? We have Justin lined up. She followed the move she had worked out for this. Always leave them wanting more. Tell Justin he is a love, and Belinda will be better for the scene. He has a thing for her anyway. They'll make magic for you. Sure, 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 he answered while setting his speed-dial hounds to work. Walking past the crew's trucks and soon-to-be repoed Porsches of the hired talent, she made her way from the condo that her production company used for their shoots. The traffic was light, and the sun was shining on its chosen people of greater Los Angeles. Four million possibilities moved around her. Cars crashed about in their fossil-fueled death march. Airliners drew random tic-tac-toe boards overhead. Yet through it all, she heard a distant whisper. We know. She spun around to see who had said it. Her eyes took in a stark yellow billboard with the black letters. We know, stretched across it. A random L.A. bar saw her first failed attempt to recapture the incident. She drank heavily. She slurred at strangers. She winked at knowing possibilities, but nothing came of it other than a few fumbling evenings of sidebar musings. The Bukowski method was quickly ditched for a more reasoned approach. Someone was telling her something. That alone was a start. Someone must have noticed the contrails of her passages, maybe noticed the rippling shift of normalcy around her movements. For years she had tried to carefully follow her three-ring binder op of operations, but the inevitability of discovery was always a tick-tick-ticking, the words, we know, had been her wake-up call to that inevitability. She did not know who or what or even why, but she knew the game was afoot. After several days of regrouping and furious questioning, she reasoned that her walkabout was as good a place as any to be. So off she went, following the arc of the sun. Tokyo, speeding bullet train. Amidst a gaggle of school kids, she held a conversation with a thirteen-year-old named Shindu. Started when he noticed her book on the game of Go. She had picked it up the day before in hopes of bettering her endgame. That book, Shindo said, after a few rounds of polite conversation, will not help you figure it out. We know. The train slid through the time and space as she framed a response. We? Shindo smiled. Yes, and trust me, we mean no harm in pointing this out. You are nice. You are honest. His eyes darted around the car, full of his classmates. We, we also have a secret. He told her his tale. Moscow, jumped to Berlin, roll into Paris, half-dive into Madrid, free-fall into Johannesburg, monkey-vault through Macau, traversing points uncountable, all running together in her head 
as she came to rest from her walkabout in her waiting apartment. Names fell off her fingers onto the waiting laptop. Sally, who roamed between this and other realms of the possible, searching for her loss, trapped by it and defined by it. Ishimon, who swept through the small towns seeking the perfect bar fight. Harry, who conned himself as much as those he deemed worthy to aid him in his deceptions. Jenna, who invented, then reinvented ways to keep her mind off the whispers they all seemed to be hearing. Rashid, who dressed everything in the garments of his parents' ideologies. Pieces, pieces, pieces. All of them needing to be put together. None of them corners. This would not be easy, she thought to herself, exhausted from the journey. She had set out on her walkabout with a mild amusement to see what the world had become. Now she sat re-examining what it had showed her, what she never thought it would show her. That, above all else, is what sent her fear running loose in her mind. Limits and liabilities damped the fear, curbed it back from possible damage for the moment. Everyone she met had heard the message, had seen it pop up here and there. Most of those she met were able to, in some way or another, move through or shift what others like to call reality. Sam had spent a serious night with her, figuring out if there was a difference between moving and shifting, if there was a passive versus active, or if it was the same thing with subtle shades of control. More than a few of those she had met were disturbed by the mystery in ways she thought dangerous, and those she wrote out on one list. The ones she met who were tackling the mystery as an adventure, a quest, or in methodical ways, she put on another list. Names of those who saw this as a reason to give up or give in, she wrote on a third list. The last list held just three names. Three very bad nights and three very hasty agates were bound up in those names. Those were the ones who saw this as a way to take what they thought was their rightful power. Encrypted with a set of keys she had arranged with some of those whom she had met, the lists were sent off to the mailing list they had set up on Google. She waited for the responses. In a month of back and forth on the mailing list, they had come up with one plan of action they could all agree on. Sam and Dimitri set it in motion, and the rest fleshed it out. The idea was to stir the pot, to turn the Brownian slam dance of the universe into something they could use to tweeze out some answers. Jenna had the marketing savvy, and in short order, the we-know viral meme would spread across the globe in the way that viral memes do. Her part was the scattershot special deliveries. Dimitri and Shindo were taking up the YouTube, MySpace, and other social networking fronts. The others would all be moving on the ground in quiet ways to watch for reactions and catalog them for the mailing list. With each yellow sheet she sent out, her mind flickered to possible outcomes. She quashed them down almost as fast as they sprung up inside her tired mind. She flitted across the country playing Mr. McFeely to her speedy deliveries of potential reactions. She had her misgivings about the whole thing. She said as much on the list. The group was comforting, but under the comfort was a strong need to know what the mystery was about and why it had crept into their lives. She agreed. Even after a busy night of deliveries, one more for the night, her eyes looked once more on the skylight of the city and her mirrored apartment. 
Soon she would lay down on the bed and sleep a dreamless sleep. She held the last yellow sheet of the night in her hands, set off. End of chapter 6